Warning, the following contains spoilers pertaining to the show and subject matter discussed. Also, strong language and adult content may be included. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you. It's real. It's happened. How amazing is this? It's been a long time overdue, but this is such a joyful occasion. And this is the perfect place to be as this decision has been handed down. I'm so glad it happened now during Pride Month and just, ah, this all feels right. I never thought the Supreme Court would legalize gay marriage, but it's finally happened. Look at all the people here outside the Stonewall Inn celebrating. It's just our luck that we happen to be down here today. I'm so freaking happy. I just want to hug everyone. This really is a bright and shining moment in our country's history. I'm so proud. Love truly wins! Welcome to Stage Whisper. I'm your host, Hope Bird, and with me is my co-host, Andrew Cortez. Today, we are going to be discussing the fabulous show, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. So hurry and take your seats. It looks like the show is starting. Hello, everyone. Welcome into today's performance of Stage Whisper. It's raining men. Hallelujah, it's raining men. And all signs point to our show today for the source of it. We are talking about the disco-packed, glitter and glammed, fierce and fabulous show, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. This glorious show brought to the stage the cult classic story of three friends traveling across the desert landscape of Australia and the adventures they go through and bonds they forge. But first, we must establish the groundwork. The show was adapted from the 1994 film, The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. The film was a surprise hit, and with its positive portrayal of the LGBT individuals in it, it was able to help introduce LGBT themes to the mainstream audience. This film is also seen as a cult classic. The original production of the musical debuted in Australia at the Lyric Theatre in Sydney in October of 2006. It spent the next two years transferring around Australia and New Zealand. It then transferred to London's West End from 2009 to 2011. In the 2000 Summer Olympics closing ceremony, Priscilla was part of a parade of images of Australian pop culture. After all this time abroad, it was finally time for the show to come on board to Broadway. So, let's first introduce you to our design team. Book by Stephen Elliott and Alan Scott. Directed and developed for the stage by Simon Phillips. Choreography by Ross Coleman. Bus concept and production design by Brian Thompson. Costumes by Lizzie Gardner and Tim Chappell. 
Lights by Nick Schlipper. Sound design by Jonathan Deans and Peter Fitzgerald. And makeup by Cassie Hanlon. It's worth noting that one of the main producers of the show and a key person in bringing Priscilla to Broadway was Miss Bette Midler. Also worth noting is that Tim Chappell and Lizzie Gardner are the same team that won the Academy Award for costumes for the movie. As the production was mounted and finalized, there was a dispute over the use of recorded string section between the production and the American Federation of Musicians, the AFM. The agreement between the AFM believes that recording in the place of live music is a marginal cost-saving measure which cheats audiences of the full, rich sound of a live orchestra. Producers argued that the artistic conception of the show required a synthetic flavor that can only be achieved with recorded music. Of course, this would eventually be resolved and the show would go on as planned. The show would arrive on Broadway on March 20th, 2011 at the beautiful Palace Theater. There it ran for just over a year and 526 performances, closing on June 24th, 2012. It would be nominated for two award Tony Awards that season and boogie away with one for best costume designs for Lizzie Gardner and Tim Chappell. So let's head down under. Drag queen Mitzi Matosis, stage name of Anthony Tick Bellrose, is performing at a club when his estranged wife Marion calls in for a favor. While Tick is off stage, fellow drag queen Misunderstanding per- performs her own number. From the phone in Tick's dressing room, Marion reveals that she needs an act for a few weeks at her business in distant Alice Springs, Australia. Tick is at first reluctant, but Marion informs him that part of the reason she's asking is because their now eight-year-old son, Benji, wants to meet his father. Tick confides in another fellow drag queen, Farah, before deciding he will leave for Alice Springs. Tick then calls a friend, a transgender woman named Bernadette, to join him, but Bernadette's husband has just died. The pair meet at the funeral where Bernadette agrees to join him. Tick also asks a friend, Felicia, stage name of Adam Whiteley, to come with them, when Bernadette taking an immediate dislike to his show-off performance style. Nonetheless, the newly formed trio, by a budget Barbie camper van, they nickname Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Tick informs them that the trip is a favor to his wife, but does not tell them it is also to meet his son, who wants to see him. As the journey to Alice Springs begins, Adam angers Bernadette after making transphobic jokes about her life before transitioning. Later, the group arrives at a bar in Broken Hill in full drag and start a bar dance party. But when they return to the bus, learn that the townspeople wrote hateful statements on the bus in spray paint. Tick is very upset, but Adam and Bernadette comfort him. While on the road, Adam practices his lip-syncing as Felicia, sitting in the 
giant high heel on the roof of the van. The next morning, Priscilla breaks down and Adam buys lavender paint to erase the vandalism. They manage to get the locals of another town on their side and meet Bob, a mechanic from a small town nearby, who agrees to help fix Priscilla. The group celebrates that they've found people that accept them. The second act opens with a group of bogans singing. Bernadette talks with Bob and learns that when he was in Sydney, he saw her when she was a young lay girl. The two begin to grow feelings for each other. Later in a bar, the trio is about to perform when Cynthia, Bob's wife, interrupts their act by popping ping-pong balls. After this, the trio leaves, leaving Bob to wonder about his feelings for Bernadette. All of a sudden, Bernadette asks if he wants a free ride back to his real home, in which he agrees. Later when they arrive, Adam dresses up like a woman to try to meet men but ends up getting chased and nearly becomes the victim of a hate crime until Bernadette rescues him by kicking one of his attackers. Later, as they arrive in Alice Springs, Tick reflects on the trip after someone literally leaves the cake out in the rain. As another act performs uh, first, the trio gets ready to perform a variety of songs that they sang or lip-synced on their journey. Afterwards, Tick finally meets his son, Benji, who accepts his father's sexuality and lifestyle, and Adam gets to perform his own solo Madonna hit. His favorite singer, by the way. Afterwards, the gang talks about their plans after Alice Springs and realize they can't leave each other. They go off stage together, and the company performs a medley of songs to close the show. The, the end. end. Let's now discuss the stuff we like and the stuff we love and the fact that our dog is in the background tap dancing for all Listen, she just loves Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, so she She, can't help but get excited. Yeah, she's paraded in her version of High Heels, so you might hear her in the background (laughs) like like that. Hello. But let's discuss the, uh, yeah, let's discuss the show and and what we liked or, or liked yeah i was like i loved everything i thought it was such a fantastic show and it was such a good time mm-hmm. well i thought that it was really uh, what i really liked is it was not shying away from any of the lgbtq plus uh topics mm-hmm. but handled them very sensitively and very human Yes. Um, I think that was one of my favorite parts was how human the show was while still being lavish and drug-filled love. Well, see, for me, it, there was like a powerful message, but this wasn't like a, a message show. This wasn't meant to light the world on fire. This was just a good, fun, great time on Broadway. This was meant to entertain you. Mm-hmm. And now you were still meant to walk away with a moral or, you know, a lesson learned. Mm-hmm. about equality and acceptance and all that. But the way that they um, communicated it, it was just a good time. Disco hits and 
amazing costumes and wigs and stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. This wasn't one of those, like, I'm going to challenge you and make you think deep and all that. This, what was great is you left having a good time, but you also left going, oh, I, I learned something or I feel something. And it's like, how did they do that? Hmm, I thought I was just getting entertained, you know, and, and so I thought that was really clever. And shows don't always just have to teach or move or inspire. Some, like we've always said, some shows can just entertain. And I really thought that it, it did a great job of that. Right. I definitely agree. I mean, honestly, this felt like... It, this <laughs> Priscilla Queen of the Desert, the musical, came across like something you would see on RuPaul's Drag Race, well, um, which was just starting to pick up its momentum. I was just momentum. about to say, I was like, I feel like those two kind of coincided of coming in the zeitgeist at the same time. Because mm-hmm. uh, I remembering when the show, when Priscilla came out, I remember stumbling on RuPaul's Drag Race, and I was like, it is the era of the drag queen! You know, like... Where has this world been? And I feel like it's been kept in dark corners for the longest time. And then all of a sudden we were all like, yes, drag queens. Like, this is fabulous. We More of this, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was so nice everyone was accepting. And more importantly, in my opinion, it was less about seeing drag as humorous, but seeing it as a art form. Yes, as rather than people poking at, like, poking fun at or making fun of... The, the man dressed in a dress. It was, it, it was a form of empowering, uh, like, it started to be what, it, what it's always been, which is an expression of gender of the individual and just this, this exciting, empowering thing. Well, we saw real artistry involved. I mean... Seeing it, I listeners, I encourage you to definitely go out and Google pictures from the show. Seeing the true artistry between the costumes and the wigs and the makeup and everything that was involved in making the show happen. This was not a party city wig and your mother's dress and her shoes. I mean, this was fully realized and invested and skills and everything that it's like I appreciate that is art. You know, mm-hmm. they're, that's why, like, I admire, I always, I've always told people this, I said, the only reality TV I really watch is RuPaul's Drag Race. And that's because I think that's real reality, I think that's real skill and talent and whatnot, to be able to do what they're doing. Really, no one can, not everyone on the street can do that. You couldn't pull someone on the street and be like, quick, so three looks out of this, this, and this. And... Beat your face to the, the gods, gods, you know, uh-huh. to look like this kind of thing. And it's and sometimes it goes beyond, I'm going on a tangent, but it goes beyond like female impersonation to look like a woman. Sometimes it goes into that avant-garde kind of thing that we see. And it's like, this is an art form. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in the show, suddenly validation came through. I mean, we had Lakaja Fall already. Mm-hmm. But I really feel like in Priscilla, in all facets of it, because there was the avant-garde, some of those avant-garde looks that came out well, and in the I, costumes. I feel like it really came through and it was appreciated. Right. And I think we're getting, let's let's go ahead and, because we could dissect 
so much about the show in so many different ways. So let's go ahead and concentrate our thoughts and let's start with the set. So with our set, it was simple, mm-hmm. but it was so vibrant and colorful. Yeah, for days. Yeah, I mean, well, and that, that bus really... That bus was amazing. That bus is the main focus because the bus is Priscilla, which I think a lot of people tend to forget. Yes, the character of Priscilla, and it is a character. Yes. It's the bus. Mm-hmm. And what I found amazing was the bus is... And this, okay, look, in 2022, this sounds weird, but the bus was like LED screens. So they were able to have these lighting effects on the bus. Like you would have like a billboard in Times Square with the swirls and things like that. Mm -hmm. But obviously, it was also able to look like a boss. Mm -hmm. You know, so they can bring in and look like a bad camper. And then they were able to paint it with lavender other times than that. Mm -hmm. And so that was at the time really impressive, but it could also sparkle. Right, well, and I love the use of the the bus because it served as, um, you know, you could see those intimate details of the lives of the people riding the bus. So Tick and Adam and Bernadette, like you could get a glimpse into the bus to see what their life was like. But then also the bus was used as like backstage and, Mm -hmm. you know, they would throw curtains over it. And, you know, so it really just was transformative. The bus really... I mean, listen, Priscilla really represented that idea that life is an adventure and life is adaptable and moldable, um, which, you know, I really love. And it was her safe space, too. Yes, exactly. And it was physicalizing the the safeness and the bond forged within their community. The other thing I'll say, and and this is just a random thing is the bus real and the way it moved really reminded me of the bus from the radio city Christmas spectacular. Yes. Because I will say the palace theater and its stage is huge. And so is radio city. And so like watching the bus move and the wheels and that, and then the way it turned, I was like, Oh, Christmas. Um, Look, I just want to jump to it. Can we just jump to it? I want to jump to costumes. I I want to jump to cop because, Oh my God. Like, Oh my. So Priscilla, as we've mentioned, was nominated for two Tony Awards, <clears throat> but it still got to perform at the Tonys. And of course, like, why wouldn't you when you had this epic costume? I mean, I mean, it was like, it was like a more colorful version of The Lion King. It, it was, was a feast for the eyes. Uh, it was amazing. Like, there's just so many different... I went and rewatched clips of the show. And, like, they take uh, inspiration from Australian animals and, you know, just... But all but all of it in high drag. Yes. And, and the drag look also went to the women in the, in the show as well. Yes. Like, you have the three divas that constantly are throughout the show and they are in drag. They're not in costume, they are in drag. Yes. And I think that it's important to understand the difference, at least um, what the difference between drag versus costume is. And costume, to me, sells the idea of the story and it's adaptable for the story, Um, which costume can be anything that helps to portray a character Mm -hmm. but when we start talking about drag it is an elevated costume to 
elevate the concepts of the costume. Mm -hmm. So whether that costume, you know, whatever the theme is for the costume and with drag, a lot of times it is about female impersonation or at least that's how it started. That's where its roots are. Mm -hmm. But now drag has become this thing that is about gender expression and sometimes can be satirical and sometimes it can be poking fun and some you know it, it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people so how can you create a label for an inclusive art form and i think that this show does a really good job of making both females and males in feminine drag yes and it has to do with the way that um it's enhanced if that makes sense like the character is the characterization is elevated in some way whether that be an elevated expression of a line or exaggerated shape um which i mean this is definitely going into a lot of semantics about the costume but that's 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 the beauty of the costume design because they were able to take a brilliant costume design and elevate it to drag performance. Well, see, like, to me, when everybody was in, I'll say drag, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm thinking like the finale. Mm -hmm. We weren't so focused on what's everyone's gender per se. There yeah. was just a, a cohesive look on the stage. And we were yes. more looking at these beautiful these platform shoes, these gorgeous dresses, and there a lot of this abstract kind of look as well. And it was like, it was just a feast for the eyes. Well, we it was were, about creating like whimsical looks or right. themes. Fantasy almost, or just these fantastic looks, pushing the bar of what could or couldn't be done. And then, you know, you had these, these wigs made out of flowers that and were like foam. two bowls. Yeah, and it was like, look what we can do. And you didn't know who was a man, who was a woman. It didn't matter. Everybody looked the same. Mm -hmm. And it was a cohesive look. And I think that's kind of what they were going to achieve. And when gender needed to matter, gender mattered. Otherwise, it was like, don't worry about this. Focus more on this. This is what you need to know. Focus on the human, not the look. And I think that's what the costumes did is helped us go, we're going to help sift the information you need to know when you need it when when it's relevant to know this we're gonna let you know this otherwise you need to know this this will mm -hmm. help keep not necessarily keep the blinders on but keep you focused because with the show dealing with so, so many lgbtq issues including a transgender character which at this time is you know a big deal being able to say gender is important but also gender is not important having a, a vessel to be able to communicate that is impressive and and you can't necessarily spoon feed that to the audience so i think that using the costumes and that to do that was perfect oh yeah your well, brain was already doing it without you realizing it exactly and i think that um one of my absolute favorite concepts of the costume design were the like platform like balloon bubble pant shoe things. Yes, those huge shoes at the end and they were discoing out and everything. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I just want a pair of those. This is long before kinky boots, but I was like, I want a pair of those shoes. <laughs> right. Um, also, just because as you brought it up about the fact that we had a transgender woman in the show, um, I was looking into some research and statistics about um, the visibility of uh, transgender people in um, movies at this time because I did look into a little bit of mm -hmm. movie research. And there 
really Priscilla, uh, The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, was one of the first movies to have a positive portrayal of a transgender woman. A lot of times before that, it was a gimmick or implied pursued. to create, um, you know, negativity or negativity conflict or, or something. yeah, exactly. Whereas this was like, no, no, no. This is just Bernadette is Bernadette, and and she was the strongest role. Mm-hmm. She was the rock for these these two mm-hmm. other characters. Yeah, and so I just found that that was fascinating, and I love that that was able to translate into the musical. And I love where we're at now because it's like. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but it's like, look, see, it's transgender people too, and they're strong, and they're important, and they're visible, and, you know, just love and embrace them. But we're getting, we're, we're switching off topic. Let's go back to right. costumes, because we can, we can get up on our social platform all day. That's another podcast. So we've been talking about the shoes, we've been talking about the dresses, and the abstractness of the costumes that were amazing. And like I said, Google these pictures, but we're missing one thing. The wigs. Can we talk about the wigs? <laughs> oh my God, the wigs. They were out of this world. Out of this world. They were insane. They like you had mentioned the abstract. Like I'm thinking, there was a time we went to Target and they had these foam wigs that looked like the 1950s, like Tracy Turnblad kind of things. Mm-hmm. And I think if I remember right, there was like there were wigs like that at one point for the the three uh, divas. And I mean, you went from that to actual like female wigs, well, the, like the, Bernadette or something, and it was like. Mind box. So you and, and and you also mentioned. I know I brought the flowers, the one that had the two balls on top of the head out of flowers. You're like, mm-hmm. yes, in the foam. Talk about that a little bit. I mean, you you actually have a piece from one of the wigs. Well, we have. Uh, so we'll get into it when we talk about our personal stories. But we have. Um, we saw the final. We saw the closing performance. But anyways. Um, Every single piece was um, unique and detailed for every single person. There wasn't a ton of copy and paste, except for the three female divas. They had the giant, like, cone wigs on their heads, the red, mm-hmm. uh, like, looked like uh, lava. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, there just was so much going on. And that there is one thing that I find kind of fascinating about this show is that there wasn't a wig designer. There was an associate wig designer, um, but the uh, the wig design was done with the costume designs. They were done one in the same. Really? Mm-hmm. Which, uh, I mean, there are a lot of shows that do that. Um, like the costume designer will be like, I want a silhouette like this or whatever. And then they leave it to the, co- the uh, wig designer to kind of figure out the specifics. Right. Um. But this show didn't necessarily have a separate wig designer. It had an associate wig designer. So was the associate wig designer in charge of the build and everything? I think so. That's wow. what That's what my understanding is. Um, so that, that meant that the fully realization of the wigs and silhouette have a little less of a traditional hair um, background, which is kind of interesting. And that's why I feel like we were able to get so much fun and whimsy because we didn't get bogged down in the concept of hair. Um, so because there was a lot of mixed media elements to create what was quote wigs. 
Um, yeah. Because it wasn't necessarily hair that made the wigs. Right, right. It was more about silhouette, shape, and color. I agree. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. Wow. I didn't know any of that. Yeah. Hmm. The more you know about wigs. That's what you get for marrying a wig artist, guys. <laughs> right. Um, but I also think we'd be remiss to mention color and silhouette without diving into lights. Right. I mean, it is a disco show. And the lighting was amazing and fun and colorful. I mean, it... It, it was colorful. Yes. Like, I think of, um, in the show, there's a song, The Color My World, when they're painting Color Priscilla. Color My World with Sunshine Fire Right? And, but to me, when I think of Priscilla, that's the song that pops into my head because that's what I saw on stage was just so much color. And a lot of that was the lights, the splashes of purples and pinks and oranges and reds and yellows and greens and blues and all the, the entire rainbow was there. I'll see. Well, I mean, that's great and all, but I also love that though they can create this beautiful disco show, it also could still create a theatrical setting in the scene, like the bar scene or mm-hmm. on the road. That was diff- separate from it. And for me, the one that stood out was the cliff scene. Um, like a prayer when mm-hmm. Adam's out there in this beautiful like winged cape thing life is a mystery and it's this beautiful it's, it's I'm sure the set itself is simple because it's just supposed to be like a cliff but then you add what they've painted that's enhanced by the lighting and it's this gorgeous like iron rich orange red cliffs with sunrise Mm-hmm. And then the other two come up in full drag, you know, when you hear your voice, it's like a... And it's it's sunrise in, in the outback of Australia, and it's beautiful colors, you know. So to be able to go from this beautiful disco, colorful world, and of course Priscilla itself being lit the way it is yeah. with these LED screens and whatnot, but to also ha- be able to create those moments, I'll say in nature... Mm-hmm. Kudos. You know. Um, I do think we have to mention the direction. Because I think if you just were to tell people the plot of Priscilla and they didn't know the movie or the culture icon that it is, they might be like... So it's a jukebox Ooh. musicals right. or Or if they saw music. pictures of it, they might be like, it's a glorified drag show. So how do you... Well, you have to make the audience care about the characters as a human. You have to be able to strip away all the beautiful drag and be able to look at them just as humans. And you also have to, you walk a fine line between preserving the cult classic so that the true fans will come and see it, but also not just, you know. Copy paste from the movie. And I feel like the director did a great job in that they took the cult classic and they brought it to the stage with the same charisma and fun that existed, not only in the film, but in the experience and seeing the show. So it was still this cult classic, yay, we're going to go see this, but the with the new live experience and adapting things that from the film that's like, this isn't going to transfer, but we're going to do it this way. And I feel like it's like the Rocky Horror Picture Show and the Rocky Horror Show. Mm-hmm. Both are different, but the same. And I feel like, though, they have a lot of the same things. You you know, there's the audience participation and whatnot still. I think fans still get a hoot out of it. I think the experience is the important thing and the message. The message isn't lost between the two. Correct. And that's the important thing to me. Um, 
I thought it was another great show that had a story that they put the songs in around versus picking the songs and then writing the story around that, if that makes sense. Yes. Looking at the disco catalog that exists, um, particularly, I'll say like the the LGBTQ disco catalog, you know, the kind of music you might hear around Pride or what have you, really popular disco kind of music. There's a lot left out. So I feel like all the songs do serve a purpose in the show in either forwarding the plot or, or just commenting on the moment. Yes. Well, and I feel like that, that, <coughs> I'm so sorry. I got so excited to speak that I, <laughs> you breathe in all that air. And like, oh. <laughs> um, I, I just, the idea that like these songs are so ingrained into this story, um, and it's because you have people who are who have been outcasts in their own lives, so they attach themselves to these songs as humans to begin with, and the fact that those songs were just able to be like pulled in and absolved and become part of the story to help further the plot, I think just comes from the very nature of people who grabbed onto these songs um, within drag culture. Does that make sense? Yes. I mean, I think the furthest song that you could say in the show was like, "Mm, I don't know if this belongs here, but it also works the best is MacArthur Park. Mm -hmm. Leaving a cake in the rain, but it also serves as a bit good set change, costume change number. But we do, there's a cake left out in the rain. It's after... An evening spent out between Bob and Bernadette. Like, there is... We can justify the bulk of it, and then we can use the rest to excite the audience and as a trans, a, a, a scene transition in that. And other shows have used musical transitions that maybe not necessarily have anything to do with the show itself. Like, One Man, Two Governors had all these musical interludes. Nothing to do with the show, you know? Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just need that. Um... And I thought, well, it's still a good disco hit, and we all know it. And there was a cake left out in the rain, so it's it's like not well, far it, off. It, it's kind of like it, it sets it's a tongue its, in cheek kind of. Well, moment. it sets itself up to go like you know, Tick is having all these emotions, and then there's a cake left out in the rain, just like the song. So he must express his emotion through singing MacArthur. Well, Park. and he even says he's like, oh my god, I've waited my whole life for this moment, you know. Uh-huh. And and that's where I thought that. I appreciated the fact that they didn't take the, the director recognized and just was like, let's not take ourselves too seriously. Well, like, and let's, because there's let's be that, real here. We're not we're not Shakespeare. We're exactly we're, well, we're and within the drag about. community, there is that idea of camp, yes. and how yes. you bring that camp in, and a lot of it comes because it happens naturally, and there's nothing funnier than the truth. So let's exaggerate it and camp it up. Yes, and the last thing I'll say, I thought that this director brought together all the elements and had them working perfectly together to create that fully realized vision. Mm-hmm. Which is why I think it was so good. You know, if, if one thing had been off and you're like, there's something I can't put my finger on, it wouldn't have sold as well. Mm-hmm. You know, but the fact that everything just, it was, the, the, the set, the costumes, the wigs, the lights, the sound, the music, everything was just gelling and going. It allowed you to buy into and go... Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because when when you do have one element that just doesn't click with everything, it it ruins. It's it's like that spice that doesn't you know that doesn't work. It's getting that chicken salad and someone put I don't know too much basil or oregano or something in it, and you're like, no, this is 
Scary Spice. Don't put this in here. Don't. Who so decided this was the good one? That's why they call her Scary Spice. That's terrible. Someone stop being creative in the spice kitchen. Don't put cinnamon in your potato salad. Knock yeah. that off. Yeah. Cinnamon and potato salad. Mm-hmm. Listen. Don't don't mess with the foods like that. Um, the last thing that I do want to touch on on the design elements, because, um, I mean, on this guy is the music. Look, I am a funk soul disco person. I live for this music. I am an old soul. Like, give me funk soul and disco, and I'm happy. I. And I am that weird person that, like, I know all this stuff. Like, I hear this music. I'm like, yeah. And people would look at me and be like, no way this guy knows this. Nah. And I'm like, I absolutely do know this. Mm-hmm. Gloria Gaynor is my jam. The Isley Brothers, you bet your boots. Right. Well, and I think that the most important thing about the music was they were fun. They were fun. You know, they were... <laughs> were they fun? They were fun. They were fun. <laughs> I mean, sorry, there's... I mean, there is a lot of disco, but there's just a lot of... Songs that are just fun, and it's something that you would hear at a drag club because it's They fun. were fun. You know what? <laughs> For Christmas, I'm getting you a thesaurus. No, um, no, you're right. They were fun. They, um, they were exciting. They had us dancing in our seats. Um, we, we, we would be remiss if we didn't mention there were songs from the 80s. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had Tina Turner's What's Love Got to Do With It. They had Madonna's Like a Prayer. They uh, had Cindy Lauper's Girls uh, Just Want to Have Fun. And True Colors. True Colors, yep. Um, but what I also loved was the arrangements and the orchestrations. Mm-hmm. The way that things were able to transition from one another and come together so beautifully. Like, I love the nightlife when they were in the bar and they did, like, all southern and country twang. And then they... Mm-hmm. Transition Let's to the not talk about, about love. love tonight. I yeah. want some action. <laughs> yes. We saw a show recently that had I Love the Nightlife in it. Um, and it wasn't Summer, the Donna Summer musical. I just can't remember the show right now. But they literally, they started playing it, right? And I was just like, all I can think of is, and I'm pretty sure it was the actress who went on to play in Kinky Boots. Um, the best friend of what's his name, the the bigot guy. Oh, I know the redheaded guy. I can't think of her name either. Um, you know, I like a man with big hands. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I know that's no help for you guys out there. Sorry, but anyway, I just I wanted to hear that slow country version, and it's just this high paced disco, and I was just like, that that's the mark of a true great arranger. The fact that the minute that song comes on, I can hear the other one too. So I appreciated the fact that they were arranging and, uh, you know, changing it up and keeping it fresh. You know, I think that's the important thing is, yes, you pick these songs for your show, but make sure it's not a copy-paste song. Use it to what you need it for. Let the music serve a purpose. Mm-hmm. Don't just put it in to put it in. Mm-hmm. And this, this show did a beautiful job of that. I agree. The show has had several notable performers, including... Tony Sheldon, Will Swenson, Nick Adams, and Keila Settle. So let's now talk about the impact the show has had on the theater and its history. 
theatrical impact, it brought another cult classic show to the stage. Mm-hmm. And I mean, successfully. Successfully, yes. Because sometimes those cult classics come and you're like, oh, don't mess with the classic. No, this one I thought was fabulous, you know. I th- uh, yeah. I, yeah, I really think that, that having a musical version of it enhanced the cult classic experience. Absolutely. Um, I also think that um, it brought an interesting, it, it brought another perspective of LGBT, LGBTQ plus experiences, um, especially because of how positive the light was. Um, and they didn't focus so much on um, the need to hide who they were. Because yes. the show was about the majority of folks accepting them. With the exception of the townsfolk that painted Priscilla. And the at, one that chased uh, Adam. Yeah. There was positivity. Yes. And acceptance coming out. Which I think was a very important thing to see on stage. And to have a transgender person in a positive role front and center. Yeah. I mean, the fact that, um, you know, I know there's been some conversation about how to portray transgender people on the stage. Um, so the fact that we have someone like Tony Sheldon playing Bernadette, I think that he really did justice to the role of being able to get into the mindset of someone during that that time, like this early 90s time frame, mm-hmm. um, of what it would be like to be transgender during the 90s. Um, because there wasn't as much acceptability, but there were these pioneers of people like the Bernadettes and like um, countless other people, um, which I wish I had more names. Um, but this idea of the Bernadettes out there that are like, you know what, this is who I am, this is what I've been through, and I'm not going to hide it anymore. Like and, Laverne Cox? Yes, I, but Laverne Cox is a now version. I wouldn't say Laverne Cox wasn't out in the 90s. Okay. I'm looking for someone specifically from the 90s that I can't remember right now. But. Well, I'm sure there are. I'm sure there are. We would have to do some research and we failed on that end. We did. But we'll pick up the ball and we, we, we will do our due diligence to figure that out. Um, I think the other thing worth mentioning of theatrical impact, and, and this is new for us, but I think it's important to note, is the costumes and wigs. I think they're legendary. Mm-hmm. I think even now when you think of Priscilla... Queen of the Desert, you definitely think of those costumes, those wigs, even honestly, that giant shoe on top of the bus. I think that set design is even immortalized. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I think the design definitely has has well, sealed itself in the in the tomes of theater. Well, especially because when you're talking about drag performance, you can't separate the costume from the character. I agree. If that makes any sense. And so I think that that just really goes to speak of how beautifully designed the costumes were. Yes. Uh, Let's move on to societal impact. So first thing I'll say is for societal impact, it was a great fun show. Yeah, because we need a little fun. Yeah. Uh, It was a wonderful introduction for a modern audience to a drag and modern family. Mm-hmm. And I love that idea of modern family because you had, you know... Um, You've had the found family of Bernadette, Adam, and Tick. Yes, but I'm, I'm thinking also of... I can't think of the mother's name. Marion. Marion, thank you. Marion and the son, Benji. 
mm-hmm. but you have Tick, who's the dad, who's out of the picture, and obviously, has, you know, there's a reason why he's not. Uh, I don't know. Is he gay? Yes, he's gay. Okay, cool. I'm sorry, I, I couldn't remember. So, you know, he's gay. So somehow he's fathered this child, and but he's not in the picture. But yet, Marion and Benji, they both want him in that, and there's that. That new kind of family of, like, we want you to be in the picture, but we don't want you to give up your lifestyle. Exactly. And we're not... What I love about the uh, relationship between Marion and Tick is Marion is like, this is who you are, and I want to encourage you to have you embrace it. Yeah, and you don't have to hide from us just because our relationship didn't work. We can... It's it's bringing in the subtle ideas of co-parenting beyond... Yes, 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 um, yes. Beyond marriage. And showing that it doesn't matter gay, straight, parents are parents. At Mm -hmm. the end of the day, it's about love, which I really appreciated. And then with everything happening... um, at that time, this was the perfect place to celebrate the history happening at that time. And I know that, that gay marriage in our country wouldn't be legalized nationwide, federally, until 2015. But while the shit was opened, it was legalized in the state of New York, which was a really big deal. Mm-hmm. And and it's that, that movement started gaining momentum as the shit was opened. I mean, it was incredible to see the number of states that started legalizing it going forward and then of course that fantastic day in 2015 so you know definitely um so i guess we go to the last question which is is the show relevant and i think that honestly as long as um acceptance is relevant this show will be relevant i mean it's a good fun show a great escape show that the very heart of it has a good, strong story that audience members can really, really identify with. And, and I think as we continue to emerge out of these hard times, this would be the perfect show to do it with. We could all use like a show with lots of glitter and sequins and hair and great music. Like We could just use a good time, mm-hmm. but then also something to remember. A good to time remind, with substance. Yeah, and just remind you to, you know... Be nice, love each other, accept each other for everything, faults and all. You don't know what the other person's going through or whatever. I watched a interview of the fifth, like a video celebrating the 15 year anniversary of Priscilla mm-hmm. um, existing, and someone said that Priscilla to them equals glitter. Everywhere they'd go, like once you set state set foot on stage at Priscilla, glitter followed you forever. Yeah. Um, and I think that that really is a good metaphor for Priscilla's story. Mm-hmm. Um, because once Priscilla, once you've seen Priscilla, it goes with you everywhere. Absolutely. I mean, here we are. Uh, here we are 11, 10, 11 years later. And I mean, we can still, I mean, yes, we have scripts in front of us and we did research. But I mean, a lot of this we're just rattling off. And I can still remember being in the balcony and everything about the show. Mm-hmm. I don't need to Google images or anything like that because I'm like, I remember... I was there. It was incredible. All that. So we're we're gonna get to that. That's coming.
journalist, like Andrew hinted to, we wanted to share some of our own personal stories about experiencing this show. Hey, hey, I just couldn't, I couldn't resist. So look, we saw the show twice in 2011 and 2012. And so, here we go. So, first and foremost, the show was so much fun. It mm-hmm. was. Um, the first thing I'm going to get out, well, no, we'll save that for last. What I loved was seeing and meeting the cast. That was a good memory. We did get to meet the original cast, including Tony Sheldon, Will Swenson, Nick Adams, and Kirill Settle. I botched her name. Uh-huh. You want to help? Keila Settle. Keila Settle. I have an R on my end. I was like, yeah, that's wrong. Keila Settle. Apologies. Um, which is crazy to think, you know, we met these people 10, 11 years ago, got their autograph in our Playbill binder. Look where they are now. Like, this is insane, mm-hmm. you know. I, I love that. Um, well, that's a, I, speaking of the Rocky Horror Show, I actually would go on to do a concert version with Will Swenson as our Dr. Frankenfurter. Yes, a couple at years Pioneer later. Theater, yeah, mm-hmm. in Salt Lake. And that, oh, mm-hmm. good times, good times. Um, so the first time we saw the show, we saw it two days after after they legalized gay marriage in the state of New York, um, which was incredible. Mm -hmm. And then the second time we saw it, which was their closing show, um, it was the one-year anniversary, and it was the last day of Pride. Oh, it was such a time. And it was. The energy. Oh, my God. I felt like I was was at New York's biggest disco that night. New York's hottest party. Uh, I remember when we walked in, like they, it was almost like everything must go, but in the most positive way possible. And we bought those pink feather boas. We bought pink feather boas. We were so excited. We were glitzed and glammed, and so was everyone else. There were so many people dressed up, yeah, like characters from the show or in drag. And I just remember, I mean, it felt like I, I felt like they did more. For the like the encore for the finale, I don't think they really did, but it felt like they did. The show was longer. That show was the longest show I'm sure they ever did because they'd finish a number and then there'd be just five minutes of a standing ovation and screaming applause, and it was beautiful. It was amazing. Like the, I think the cast just couldn't believe it, and I was like, "How is this show closing?" Like, oh, I, you know. <laughs> and then um, after the show. Cast members were walking out. And they had pieces of their costumes and, and their wigs and that that they were passing out. So mm-hmm. now you may tell about the bird. So we have a little bird from one of the costumes. Actually, we have a couple of pieces because we have the bird. We have a feather. Yes. Um, Just because there are people from the ensemble just passing it out. And I think, uh, oh my gosh, the actor who played uh, Adam, Nick. Nick Adams. Nick White? Oh, Nick oh, oh, Nick Adams, because it's Adam Whiteley. Okay, yeah, anyways, he was passing out stuff, too, and it just was, it was so much fun, and that bird, we need to find a better way to display it. I know. I, we, we The Broadway memorabilia that we have, we'll figure it out now, now that we're here. <laughs> but it was just, it was a night full of love and celebration. It was, it is one of the most fun nights I've had on Broadway, and... I didn't feel like... Uh, it, I mean, here we were a heterosexual couple in the mix of all of this, and 
There was nothing but love. Well, no, I mean, like, it, it didn't feel like a somber night in that the show was closing. It just felt like such a joyous celebration. Everybody was just... Mm-hmm. It was insane. There was just so much appreciation and love and happiness and all of that. And you don't always find that, you know? So it, it was amazing. I just had so much fun with this show. Mm-hmm. So much fun. Oh, and another takeaway from this show... Another memory. You'll appreciate this. Okay, I... I mean, obviously, I love the music from the show. But I was working it in and out And one of my favorite songs from the show was MacArthur Park. And when I was cooking, I would always sing, Someone left a cake out in the rain. Well, I had a oh. manager friend of mine, <laughs> good manager fa- friend named Daniel Payne. Shout out Daniel Payne. Anyway, he didn't know anything about this song. And I was trying to explain the show because Naive Me didn't really know the disco song. I just knew it from... Priscilla, well... After we saw this in New York and we came home... Well, so I showed him the clip of the show and everything, and, and so all he knew was it was like drag queens. Well, when his birthday came around... After we got home from that trip that year... I bought, went out after work, bought a cake, and then I hid it in Hope's truck, and we went through the drive through And then as we pulled through, because... Anybody who's ever been to an In-N-Out, you know, like, basically the whole kitchen area is surrounded by glass. They call it the fishbowl, so you can see what they're doing. So as we pulled in, Hope just cranks up MacArthur Park from Priscilla, and I just lip-sing the hell out of this thing while holding a cake up for him. This is happy birthday with candles lit. I mean, I go all out for this guy, and there's a full dining room, and I was just like, yes, I'm living my best Priscilla life. <laughs> Proud moment, right there. You know, that's how much this like show really got to me. So, guys, go see Priscilla. I know it's being done. I know there was a production recently over in England. Oh. So, you know, hope I can't wait to get over there soon. Here comes the fall. So, as we continue to take our seats in the theater, we invite you to join us in returning to them as well. You'll be able to catch Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, at a theater near you. I'm sure. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez. And I'm Hubbard. Reminding you to turn off your cell phones. Unwrap your candies and keep your mask on. And keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You could also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Fox by Music for Wildlife. Other music on this episode provided by Loyalty Freak Music, Komiku, and Billy Murray. <laughs>